Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Darren Heitner is my guest. He's a sports entertainment and IP lawyer. NIL, name, image, and likeness. It all went into effect July 1st, 2021. Lots of new rules. Tricky landscape to navigate. Darren Heitner is going to help us break down NIL and we'll cover many angles on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good. And like we've talked about for years on this NIL and it becoming a thing now, great guest today because there's so many backstories and sides and things to look at, you know, as this becomes reality for these uh, college athletes. So very interesting interview and I learned a lot from it. Yeah. And Darren is actually uh, representing some college athletes and brokering deals for them and, uh, you know, making sure they're not being taken advantage of and things like that because they're young people after all. But uh, I think it's great. It's a watershed moment for college sports. These athletes are finally able to take advantage of their name, image, and likeness. And uh, it's a good conversation that I think everyone will learn a lot from. All right, let's get to some headlines. Griggs, the Suns and the Bucks in the NBA Finals. It's the first time in 15 years of the NBA Finals that the Finals won't feature Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, or Steph Curry. There's new blood in the NBA Finals, including Chris Paul has made it for the first time in 16 years. The other note here, Griggs, some good karma for recent guests. Robert Sarver, Suns owner, has been on with us recently. Mark Lazary, Bucks owner, has been on with us recently. So I invite our listeners to go into the Sports Business Radio Vault, the podcast archives, and access those conversations. But, uh, you know, some good fortune for the owners who have joined us on Sports Business Radio. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're a, a sports team owner and uh, your team's been struggling for a couple of years and want to get in the finals or the you know the championship, just come on the show and it's going to happen. No kidding. Well, who do you think is going to win? Uh, you know, I know the big question mark is the health of Giannis, two-time MVP. It doesn't look like he's going to play game one. He's listed as doubtful. If he doesn't play, it obviously changes the, the series. But uh, who do you like? You know, I like the Suns, and I think, uh, like you said, you mentioned Giannis. If he's out for you know more than two games or something, it could really hurt them. However, Milwaukee is a solid team. I mean, Chris Middleton and the crew has been awesome. So uh, I still think the Suns with Chris Paul and Booker are just a tough backcourt to defend, and Chris Paul is just so good in these clutch moments. So I'm got, I've got the Suns in six as it stands now. 
Yeah, I'm torn here because I've got friends with both teams. Uh, obviously, Mark Lazary's been on recently, as we just mentioned. Peter Fagan, the president of the Bucks. I've got some other friends with the Bucks, but you may not know this, listeners. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, originally, so I grew up a Suns fan. They were my first sports love, and they've never won the NBA title. And here's some trivia, Griggs. Back in 1976, in the NBA Finals, a young Brian Berger, eight years old, was sitting in the fifth row as the Phoenix Suns played the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals. That's really one of my earliest sports memories. And I got to go Suns. I'm from Phoenix. I'm a longtime you know, Suns follower. And uh, I think I have to go Suns in this series. And I do think that they will win as well, especially if Giannis isn't at full health. Yeah, I think uh, Chris Paul is just, it was so fun seeing him that last game get to the finals and he was just like a little kid. I mean, he is just pumped. He's jacked. He's so good. He's so solid in big moments. I just, uh, I don't know how they're going to be able to stop him. And I agree with you, being from Phoenix, you kind of have to go with the Suns. Well, and Devin Booker has really had a breakout playoffs too. A lot of people, and especially a lot of NBA players were saying, watch this guy if he gets into the playoffs. He'd never been to the NBA playoffs before. This is his first time, and look, he's got the Suns in the NBA Finals. So Devin Booker is a superstar, and you put him next to Chris Paul, who showed, hey, look, I can close out a series or close out a game if need be. I'm not afraid to take the big shots like he did in the closeout against the Clippers. I think the Suns look pretty good, but that's why they play the series. I'm really interested to see what the TV ratings look like because, again, no LeBron, no Steph Curry, You know, some of the big names that have been in the finals in years past are not there now. But I think this is good for the league. I think some young stars getting in there and, uh, you know, just exposure for other teams. And these two teams are really, really good. And they played a a close series this regular season. I think it's going to be great for the NBA. And I would expect a six or seven game series. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, you got two new teams in it. But I think as, a, as an average fan, I think fans kind of enjoy something new, some, some something fresh, something not LeBron maybe for a season. So I think the NBA and the ratings will do pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be glued. I'm going to be watching everything. So uh, excited for it. All right. Our next headline, Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars in the 2021 NFL draft. He signed a four-year $36.8 million contract. That includes a 24.1 million dollar bonus. This is according to Adam Schefter of ESPN. The Jags put out a tweet on Monday as well saying that they officially have signed their number one pick. So now we'll see. It's the Trevor Lawrence era officially in Jacksonville, Griggs. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a great arm. He's a great quarterback. Jacksonville needs all the help they can get. So I think it's a good start for them. But do they have the players around him to make them good enough to get, you know, more than one or two wins this season? We'll have to see. But he's good. He's fun. I think it's a good signing and uh, a good move for Jacksonville. Well, speaking of NIL, how much money would Trevor Lawrence have made at Clemson if he had been able to sign endorsement deals? I think there's at least a couple million dollars there that would have been had over the time he was at Clemson if he was able to take advantage of NIL, don't you think? 100%. I mean, that guy took that Clemson team to what were they almost undefeated, if not undefeated every season he played. I mean, they were phenomenal. So he was on everything. You saw him every, all over Sports Center, all over TV. So yeah, he would have made some money. All right, our last headline. Jessica Springsteen, the daughter of rock star Bruce Springsteen, has been selected for the Tokyo Olympics show jumping team. That's an equestrian team that was announced on Monday. So the boss is sending the little boss, his daughter Jessica, to Tokyo. I think it's a cool story, Griggs. 
you got a guy in music that's just a giant and then his daughter coming out and doing her thing. And equestrian's cool too. I always love watching it because the things they can do with horse and jumping and the movements and everything is fascinating. So I'm looking forward to the Olympics and uh, fun to have a big name in there. Yeah. I mean, it looks like we're going to have the Olympics. We've been talking about that for a couple of years after they were postponed last year. So now, you know, everyone's uh, tried out and the teams are, are ready and, uh, you know, looks like we're going to actually have it. So we'll all be glued to the, the TV for a couple of weeks. All right. Sports Business Radio is powered by Molka Sports. And coming up next, Darren Heitner, sports entertainment and IP lawyer, as well as an NIL advocate. I wanted to have someone on to really walk us through all the new rules that went into effect on July 1st with name, image, and likeness. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. We've collaborated with our friends at Parish Project to create high-quality sports business radio clothing, including hoodies, long-sleeve t-shirts, and short-sleeve t-shirts. Each item comes in five different colors and a variety of sizes. These items are super comfortable, and you can wear them on Zoom calls, while working out, or when you're lounging around the house. Sports Business Radio has loyal listeners around the world. We'd love for you to post a picture rocking your Sports Business Radio gear. Tag us on Instagram or Twitter if you post. Get your official Sports Business Radio gear by going online to parishproject.com. That's parishproject.com. P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. My guest is Darren Heitner. He's a sports entertainment and IP lawyer. He's the founder of Heitner Legal. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Heitner. He teaches sports law at the University of Florida Law. He's an author of How to Play the Game. Darren, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to hear from you again. It's been a while. It has been a long time, and uh, you've been doing great things. You've been leading this name, image, and likeness advocacy for a long time. So as of July 1st, over 400,000 NCAA athletes are able to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Can we start with you explaining what that means? Because I think a lot of people hear the term NIL, but they don't really know what it means. Sure. I mean, name, image, NIL does stand for name, image, and likeness. And I suppose technically it's a small subset of what these athletes are really benefiting from at this point. Even NIL doesn't really explain what the rights are. The rights are an individual's right to publicity. And so everyone in the United States has had these rights for decades, except for college athletes. They are the single class of individuals who have been singled out and they've been singled out by the NCAA. The only reason why they haven't had these rights is because the NCAA has said they are prohibited from making money off of their names, images, and likenesses. And really what that means is commercializing those rights, making money off of relationships with third parties. But really what we're talking about is more than that. It's not just allowing a third-party brand to use a person's name, image, and likeness and pay compensation and consideration. It's everything from endorsements, endorsing products and services of a company, to camps and clinics making money off of hosting those camps and, cl- and clinics, to autograph signings, to creating NFTs and selling them, to just building 
your own business from scratch and making money from it. So really the sky's the limit. There are certain categories that either states based on their laws have made off limits uh, or, or respective school policies that have been specific as to the types of companies that athletes cannot associate with. But outside of that, generally, athletes now for the first time can make money off the field, off the court. So you helped author a Florida state bill that allows athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness. Again, you were on all of this early. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's 24 states across the country that now have such NIL laws. But then the NCAA came out the day before, so what was it, June 30th, and put out some of their own rules. Can you explain to people which takes priority, the state law or what the NCAA rules are? Yeah, I've honestly lost track as to how many states have laws at this point. Um, But to answer your question, what takes priority, the state law. And that was going to be the case even if the NCAA had not changed its position at like 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern on June 30. The state laws would control, which is why the NCAA felt so compelled at the last minute to change its longstanding position and open the door for schools across the country, irrespective of whether they're in a state that has an NIL law or not, to now offer these rights to college athletes. You're working with twin sisters, the Cavender sisters. They play basketball at Fresno State. They're huge on social media. You help the twins get a deal with Boost Mobile. How is NIL going to help not only all athletes, but I I see this really helping women athletes as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's been amazing working with the Cavender twins over the first, say, we're not even at a full 48 hours yet. Um, We've been able to broker three deals um, and there's been countless other offers outside of the ones that we consummated and have delivered upon Um, some that we're still considering and others that just are not a good fit. But it goes to show you that this is not just an opportunity for the star quarterback or the star wide receiver or the star basketball men's basketball player. Uh, And in fact, I think you'll find maybe a year from now, when we look back, that overall female athletes probably will have benefited to a greater extent in some than male athletes. Uh, And and I think a big part of that is because many female athletes have just done a tremendous job leading up to July 1 to brand themselves and create amazing followings on social media like Instagram and TikTok in particular and tend to be very personable and and engaging with their fan base. Uh, And so I wouldn't be surprised to see other female athletes follow the Cavender Twins lead and start to command some significant deals. So if you're a student athlete listening to this or the parent of a student athlete and you want to find some name, image, and likeness deals, What's the best way to do that? Is it to reach out to someone like you? Are there platforms out there that they can use to find these deals? Should they just be talking to their, uh, you know, local businesses in their community? What's the best way for athletes to enhance their name, image, and likeness? Yeah, in terms of opportunities, reaching out to me probably won't do you all that much, although I can connect you to the third parties who are really focused on procuring these opportunities. I mean, number one, 
there's the opportunity to hire an agent, but I don't think that's for everyone. I think that's really for a select number of athletes um, who have sincere marketability. Um, and because I don't think agents are just going to take on every athlete who's out there who wants an agent. There's third-party marketplaces like an icon source that I'm very familiar with, which is matching athletes and brands together. Um, an influencer has a marketing um, a marketplace that it's developed. Uh, where I really come in is not at that procurement stage. Uh, it's in helping get the deal done and making sure that the athlete is fully protected from an intellectual property standpoint, from a deliverable standpoint, compensation, so on and so forth. Um, I've also done some consulting with the brands themselves in terms of their NIL strategy, but I'm not out there pounding the pavement trying to find opportunities. I leave that to, to others. I read somewhere the NFL Players Association advised agents they are permitted to enter into NIL marketing agreements with college players. Is that true? And if so, how does that change the landscape? It is true. And I was actually a bit surprised that the NFLPA felt the need to release that opinion. I've been telling NFLPA certified contract advisors for quite some time that they would be able to enter into this space. I didn't see why they wouldn't be. And then there was uh, a newsletter that was disseminated by an industry watchdog. I think it was Friday of last week. So it must have been um, June 25th that got a lot of agents on edge because it said from their sources, they heard that the NFLPA would not allow NFLPA certified advisors to do this type of activity. And then I started hearing from individual agents who said, you know what, I'm not going to do anything until I get clarity from the NFLPA, which I think is why we saw the NFLPA just come out outright and, and explain that there's not an issue. And I suppose the, the question was whether or not working with these athletes while they're in school could be deemed as an inducement to then have these players sign with them when they turn pro. Um, and I didn't, I never thought that it would be. In fact, there's probably many athletes who will sign with agents and not sign with that same agent when they go pro. Um, so we haven't seen many announcements thus far. The big one I'd say so far is that uh, Spencer Rattler, the quarterback, has signed with Lee Steinberg and Chris Cannon. Uh, and, you know, I, I wonder whether we'll see a lot of these types of announcements on social media and otherwise. Um, while there's a lot of athletes who are signing with agents, they're doing so without you know, that type of fanfare. And, and maybe we'll see that for a select few, specifically the, the big name quarterbacks. I would just think if you have the opportunity to work with an agent while you're in college and the agent produces some good marketing deals for you, you're going to get comfortable with that agent or marketing firm. And it would be natural to me that you'd want to continue working with them when you become an NFL player. So I think there is an advantage there. And, and that's perfectly uh, reasonable. In fact, I, I absolutely agree with you. There may be an advantage, but do I deem finding an endorsement opportunity to be an inducement, an improper inducement? No. And, I, and that was the question that the NFLPA, I suppose, had to answer uh, based on the questions that were asked. And I think that the NFLPA uh, made the right move by, by uh, clarifying that it is not technically a violation of the NFLPA regulations. Darren, you mentioned earlier uh, deals that could conflict with the university or with the NCAA or just certain categories, firearms and and 
things like that. How are these student athletes supposed to stay on top of all of the different, you know, do's and don'ts? And these are the categories that we can go out and get, or these are the sponsors we have to stay away from. That seems like a lot for a student athlete to try and navigate. You know, honestly, if, if they are at the level where they can manage their NIL and they can do deals and they can understand uh, financial planning and the tax consequences of doing these deals and the legal ramifications, and I think they can easily also um, look up their state law and look up their school published policy. I don't think that's asking too much of the athlete. Now, I recognize they were put in a precarious position by the NCAA because they didn't have much time between June 30 when the NCAA dropped its prohibition and July 1. But as we're talking now, um, the athletes certainly have, and we've seen the schools publish their policies. And the schools are also very proactively getting those policies to the athletes besides just publishing the policies on their websites. So I don't think there's any excuse, to be honest, uh, to not be cognizant of what those policies are and what the laws are within the given state. And to the extent that they need any assistance, they can obviously um, reach out to their schools, reach out to compliance, or reach out to third parties. I mean, it's something that I've been doing uh, voluntarily, just to make sure that these athletes understand what they can and can't do. Boy, the role of the compliance director, that's changing big time. Don't you think that like that's a totally different job going forward now? Yes and no. I mean, compliance is compliance. Uh, it's just there's an added responsibility that there's new laws slash rules that are in place. And so compliance, the existing compliance departments probably have a little bit more on their plates to manage um, to the extent that these schools have not already retained third parties to assist with that. And many of them have. Um, hopefully they have the resources in their respective athletic departments to manage it. Um, but, you know, I think at its core, it's still a compliance issue. And hopefully the compliance departments have been prepared for what's to come, especially in those states like my state of Florida, where the law, which was the first one with an effective date of July 1, 2021, was signed into law by Governor DeSantis June 2020. So schools have had a year to prepare. Other than the deals that you've done for your clients, like the Cavender sisters, are there any deals that have been done so far that you that have stood out to you and you go, wow, that's pretty creative or that was unexpected. Is anything jumped out at you? Not really. I've seen Barstool sign up a bunch of athletes and I question whether or not that's even a good idea by those athletes since Barstool is technically connected to a sports book and there are prohibitions either state by state with their laws or with school policies uh, by between athletes and uh, engaging with sports betting operations. Um, plus, I mean, if the athletes are only getting merchandise, I don't think that's necessarily a great deal for the athletes, even if I suppose they're manufacturing a little bit of a larger following. Um, there's been some cheesy deals out there too that I'm not very fond of, but I'd say like one that one athlete who's impressed me is Derek King, the quarterback at the University of Miami, who has struck quite a few deals and I've seen the figures on some of them. So he's making five figures on some of these opportunities. Plus, He's become a part owner of a company called Dreamfield, which is has the intention and the mission to find opportunities for other athletes. So he's the type of person that I'm following closely and I'm, I'm appreciating what he's done thus far. The other thing, you know, we talked about the relationship that could be built with the agents, with some of these players. 
you know, if you get in with some of these companies and you're a student athlete, wouldn't that be a nice stepping stone to doing a, a bigger deal when you turn pro? It just seems like, again, you're building relationships, they're investing in you, and that would be uh, kind of a seed for a future partnership. Yeah, that's right. I mean, these deals between athletes and third parties can't go beyond um, the term of which the athlete is enrolled at a university. So we've seen that in the state laws that have been passed. Um, again, it depends on what the individual school policies are outside of those specific states. Um, but you're right. I mean, athletes could be developing strong relationships with brands that could go well into their professional careers as long as um, the brand and the athlete is, is happy with uh, the deliverables and how it plays out. I know, at least with the Cavender twins thus far, uh, the brands that have affiliated with them are just absolutely thrilled, head over heels, as with regard to their enthusiasm uh, in, in delivering the obligations and also um, the exposure that they've received from all. They really have won day one of, of NIL. I think back to Zion Williamson and J.J. Redick and Reggie Bush and Vince Young and Tim Tebow and, you know, how much money they could have made if they had NIL. And especially when it comes to memorabilia and autographs. Again, I know it's probably the chosen few that take advantage of those areas, but are there athletes that you see that, you know, could be just ripe for memorabilia and autograph deals? Hard to say. I had this conversation earlier today and, you know, with it being basically the off season for all the major sports, um, I'm not sure. Perhaps you could find, you know, the star quarterback in Alabama, Clemson, uh, Georgia being the leaders, perhaps University of Florida as well. Um, you mentioned Tim Tebow. I mean, I was just on, on a show where we talked about whether or not he could have commanded eight figures when he was in school. And it was interesting with Tim Tebow. You know, he's come out and said that he wouldn't have even been interested in doing these deals. Although as philanthropic as he has been and is, he probably would have done the deals and just donated it all to charity. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I think that what sells really well outside of just the star players is a good story. Um, and outside of that, in today's day and age, it's having a, a very large following and strong engagement. No, if it wasn't true before, certainly with college athletes, things like TikTok in particular and Instagram, those are the key drivers. Set the record straight on this. I think I know the answer, but, you know, I'm seeing all these uh, ex-college athletes come out on social media and say, hey, can we retroactively pay me my money since the rules have changed now? that's not going to happen, right? Like no one's going to go back and go, oh, Tim Tebow or Zion Williamson, here's your money that you could have gotten when you were in college from the jersey sales or things like that. Not without litigation. And there is pending litigation on that very subject. In fact, the NCAA tried to have that litigation dismissed and the federal court recently denied that motion for dismissal. So that case is proceeding. Um, will the NCAA or any school voluntarily provide payment to former athletes? Absolutely not. So that's something that'll be fun, of course. And then as far as we're on the NCAA, you know, a lot of athletes have been saying, give Reggie Bush his Heisman back, reinstate the Fab Five from Michigan. Um, how do you feel those things would turn out? And, and you know, legally, 
can they even reverse those decisions? Is that completely up to the NCAA to decide that? I would think that's up to the NCAA to decide. I doubt that a court of law would interfere with that, um, setting aside any potential statute of limitations claims that there may be in defense. But, um, you know, I think the thing more, more than anything is that the fans have always come up with their own impression as to whether or not it was just to basically, you know, take away the Heisman from Reggie and deal with the Fab Five in the way that the NCAA did. And so, you know, I'm not quite sure just what the meaning would be to go back in time and change those decisions, although it would be nice. Um, but you know, I don't, what I've found with, from, from my review of the NCA for quite some time is that it doesn't do anything gratuitously. It will not take a move unless it has to. And I don't think it has to. What happens to the NCAA going forward? Well, it's a good question. Um, obviously, it, it, it depends on various factors. From my perspective, the NCAA has been rendered quite useless. Uh, it, its main use is to organize the NCAA tournament on an annual basis and structure those media deals. But outside of that, it doesn't have much of uh, a purpose. And so I think at some point in time, especially after I've read some of the comments from conference commissioners, specifically uh, Sankey with the SEC, it seems like there's a growing distaste among the commissioners with how the NCA has acted, especially with name, image, and likeness. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me altogether if the NCA at some point in time in the future ceases to exist. Um, I don't think that's necessarily in the foreseeable near-term future, but at some point in time, the conferences could get together and realize we don't really have a use for the NCA anymore. Uh, and at that point in time, I imagine it just goes away. It's something of the past. Darren, we're in a, a free market with no cap for the NIL deals. Do you envision the day, are we heading to the day where there's a free market and no cap with what you can compensate a student athlete for attending your university and playing sports? We may see that at some point in time. You know, that was addressed by Justice Kavanaugh in his concurring opinion in the uh, Supreme Court case of Alston BNCAA, which was handed down just a few weeks ago. And while it was merely a persuasive opinion and, and not binding from the court, um, it, it got into discussing whether or not any restrictions whatsoever should be permissible and, and were justifiable when it comes to the individual athletes. And um, whether or not athletes should be able to get paid directly from the universities, uh, he recognized that there could be complications of it. It could have a negative effect on the non-revenue sports. It could have, it could lead to questions with regard to Title IX. Um, but he said those are things that could be worked out either in litigation or with legislation or collective bargaining, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so. You know, again, that wasn't the decision of the court, and, and even if it was part of the decision of the court, it would have merely been what's called dicta. It wouldn't have been the holding. And, they, and the case was about academic-related benefits and whether the NCA could place restrictions on them from an antitrust perspective. The answer was no. Um, and so now there's no cap on that. But to your question, could there be a future where athletes get paid by the universities and are basically in business with them and are employees, perhaps? The answer is yes could happen. 
What about high school athletes? I mean, now that college athletes can take advantage of their name, image, and likeness, are we going to see this at the high school level? We see all of these, you know, sizzle videos of seven-on-seven football and basketball mixtapes and all of these things. And I'm wondering, are the high school athletes going to step forward and say, hey, why can't I profit off of my name, image, and likeness? The answer is maybe. Um, the NCAA has sort of kicked the can on this issue. And when it released its very limited number of restrictions, it also had a Q&A. And that Q&A basically said, we're not going to say that high school athletes cannot make money off of their NIL. However, if you are a high school athlete, look at your state laws and look at your high school association's bylaws. And so, for instance, in a state like Texas, its NIL law expressly prohibits high school athletes or prospective college athletes from entering into these types of deals. In the state of Florida, the high school association also prohibits these types of deals for high school athletes. Could those laws and rules be changed? Absolutely. But what I would say to any high school athlete who is considering doing these types of deals, look at the association's rules, look at the state laws, make sure you're not doing something that could potentially cause you to no longer be able to participate in high school athletics. All right. Uh, before I let you go, I've got to ask you a, a different type of question. Uh, we're going to move away from NIL. You, I think, are one of the foremost IP lawyers in the country. Uh, lots of sports figures come to you to protect their IP. Can you explain to our audience what IP is and how you protect it? Sure. Intellectual property is, um, it's a form of property, um, but it's everything from trademarks to copyrights, obviously right of publicity as we're talking about trade secrets. Um, how you protect it depends on the type of intellectual property that we're talking about. Trademarks has been certainly an emphasis of mine, as is uh, copyright. But uh, with trademarks, it's through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. We're looking for a federal registration to protect you broadly. Um, there's word marks, there's logos, design marks um, that you can protect that way. Copyrights is the U.S. Copyright Office. It's any content that has been created and, and fixed in um, tangible medium. So that can be everything from music to artwork to photography and so on and so forth. Um, it's somewhat of a complicated process. In fact, a lot of my clients are even lawyers who just don't practice in that specific space. But I've worked with many athletes, uh, thus far mainly professional athletes and helping them protect their IP, especially when they're looking to build brands, um, prevent others from infringing on, on their intellectual property, and perhaps engage in licensing efforts. What's the strangest IP request you've gotten? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, strangest one. I actually, it's, it's something that I was just retained on that, that I haven't actually filed yet, and so I can't. I can't mention it, but I guess keep track of my social because at some point I'll, I'll be posting. Darren Heitner, sports entertainment and an IP lawyer, founder of Heitner Legal, one of the best sports and entertainment and IP lawyers out there. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Heitner. Darren, thanks so much. Continued success to you. Keep up the great work. And I appreciate you uh, providing our audience with some more insight into name, image, and likeness. Great chatting with you. Thanks for having me back. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. 
Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering sports business radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.